0: Welcome to the Education of a Financial Planner, where we look at the major concepts in financial planning through the lens of two quant investors who are learning the ropes of the planning process and how to help clients achieve their long-term goals. Learn along with us as experienced financial planner Matt Ziegler helps us understand the most important financial planning concepts that impact all of us and how we can apply them to achieve the best outcomes in our financial lives. In each episode, we will work through one major financial planning concept from the ground up and learn how we can apply it in the real world. From retirement to college savings to taxes to estate planning, we will cover a wide range of topics that apply to each of our everyday lives. We hope you will join us in our learning journey.
1: Justin Carpineau and Jack Forehand are principals at Lydia Capital Management. Matt Ziegler is Managing Director at Sunpoint Investments. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Lydia Capital or Sunpoint Investments. No information on this podcast should be construed as investment advice. Securities discussed in the podcast may be holdings of clients of Validia Capital or Sunpoint Investments.
0: All right, guys, so this is a new concept uh, for us that we're going to try here today. Um, And the idea for this came out of um, our firm trying to do more planning with clients. Jack went and got his CFP, um, but we quickly realized that, you know, just getting that designation doesn't mean you're a financial planner or that you know how to do it. And so what we wanted to do is um, bring in someone who has been financial planning and is a financial planner and doing this for a long period of time with clients. And that's our friend, Matt Ziegler, who's joining us today. Hey, Matt. Hey, guys. So the idea here is we're going to take one financial planning concept, um, and there's a lot of them that we can go through but take one thing and sort of do a, a you know a relatively deep dive into that where, where we will sort of present Matt questions around the concept and hear from him how he works with clients on different financial planning um, concepts or topics or themes. And so today, what we thought we would do is really start at a high level. Um, it's something called goals-based planning. And I'll let Matt um, sort of talk to that in a minute. But, you know, this is an, uh, a, a planning, I guess, concept that's been around for quite a while. I mean, I think it's kind of come mainstream since maybe the early 2000s, where it's become more prevalent in financial planning, sort of getting off product, selling products and more around, you know, understanding clients and their goals and stuff like that. So um, Matt, maybe just to start, we, we wanted to ask you, like, what what, what is goals-based planning? So... First off, let's just dispel the idea of whether you call it gold
2: based planning or objectives-based or whatever else. The key part here is we've got these three words and let's just break those three words down. So goals-based planning. So a goal or an objective is something that's usually an event and it's usually something that's happening in the future or down the road and we're aware of it. Based mean, it's based in some form of reality. There's some purpose behind it or something that's going on. And planning, it's not goals-based planned, it's goals-based planning. So it's something that we're getting ready to move towards. So you went into student loan debt because you got a Germanic poetry degree, like planned, that's a problem, it's in the past. But now we have to say, there's not a job for that. Let's find you a good marketing career and figure out how to pay off those student loans. Now that's planning moving forward. So we have an event, we have some type of purpose behind that event, and then we have a plan for how we're gonna move forward and tackle that thing.
1: It seems like there's, there's so many different goals and it seems like the, the way you would approach them would be very different. For instance, you know, retirement, you might save 30 years for a 30-year goal. You know, you save 30 years and then you're probably spending for 30 years. You know, college you're saving, you know, if you start from the beginning, you're saving 18 years and then it's a four-year goal. So how do you sort of think about the, the different types of goals that are out there? So it's really important, and this is, and I'm sure we'll touch
2: on this too, like the dark side of goals-based planning is having goal-based planning, which would be like, oh, retirement. And then everything else is a subcategory of that. And that's, that's a bastardization or a productization of the thing. Like the answer to your life is not the uh, indexed universal life, Twitter debate. (laughs) Like it's nuanced. So goals-based planning is the literally say, guess what, Jack? Guess what, Justin? Like your lives are kind of a mess and there's a junk drawer here of a bunch of different goals and we have to prioritize and stack them. Because four years at college is different than 40
1: years in retirement. So thinking about the jump tour, you know, that, that was my next question. Because, you know, obviously the, the hardest part here might be at the beginning, trying to figure out what are the goals. I mean, it, it seems like there are a lot of different goals you could have. And, you know, some of them might be realistic or might not be realistic. So how do you work with clients to try to figure out, you know, what the appropriate goals are?
2: Okay. So a couple pieces of that that we have to tease apart. Now, the first is just on what are the appropriate goals? And there's a thing that we use in our business that I'm, I'm in the process of rebranding, so we'll see if this, this sticks, but it's like the three C's are basically for everything that we have to do, we need these three C's for context, and that's, we need to know the calendar, Um, and that's like, my kids go to college in four years, and then kid number two starts college in six years, and here's like the rough time that I'm going to do this, and the calendar are the things that we know are coming down the pike. We're not getting hung up on crazy things like, at first, at least, do I need disability insurance for this weird future thing? But we're getting into that zone of what's on the calendar that we know it's happening. So calendar number two is cash flows. So as we look forward, kid goes to college. Well, we gotta pay for college most likely. So what what's the cash flow look like? And we're looking for surpluses and deficits. And then C number three is crap which is a technical term that you might be familiar with. Back to the junk drawer. You've got a lot of crap on your calendar and in your life. Um, For the financially minded, crap is also a fancy version of BS. And BS in this case refers to your balance sheet, which is if you have a cash flow, you either have a surplus or a deficit. And if you have a uh, deficit, because you're paying for your kids for school, um, are we going into debt? Are we getting student loans? Um, or do we have a surplus in our cash flow on the calendar and now we have savings? And then where do we prioritize? Should I be finding, funding the 529? Should I be putting money into the 401k or whatever else? So when we start to talk to clients about what goals matter, the place that starts is the calendar. What are the things that we know are going to happen that you actually care about? And there's no one right answer to this. There's a lot of mostly right answers and then the common factor.
1: What do you do when, when a client's goals aren't realistic? You know, so for me, I, I would love to retire to a private island and arrive there via private jet exclusively in my retirement. But if, if you were to pull down my financials, you'd probably be saying, Jack, that's not going to happen for you. So I'm, I'm wondering, how do you think about that? Because you probably see that a lot, maybe not to that degree, but you probably see a lot of goals that may not be realistic. How do you handle that? So
2: realistic, and this connects to the, the prior thing of making sure you're checking off the calendar with the cash flows, with your crap. Cause you might not have the crap yet to afford that private Island uh, lifestyle. Um, so it's really comes down to assumptions and expectations, and you can flip these both back and forth as you think about them. So the expectations are, I want to live on a private Island, but the assumptions and you guys are finance guys are quants with this too. Like, what are the assumptions that you need to happen to meet that expect? and odds are like the lottery might be involved <laughs> or like a really great startup idea or something.
0: Jacques, you, you need to sell the, start, start by selling the boat. That's your first uh, piece of financial advice.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah that's really, it's gonna be it's still going to be very short, but uh, at least it's a move in the right direction. Yeah, so
2: it's it comes down to assumptions and expectations. And so a lot of times with clients, it, it's untangling the two. So you go, oh, great. You want to retire on that private island? Well, are we taking some big giant swing that if this works out, then there's a chance of that happening. Or if you're like some low-level accountant somewhere making like a meager salary and you can't save any money, then right away we can go, okay, I think the the expectations here are off and it would require some assumptions that unless you win the lottery, this isn't gonna happen.
1: How do you think about the balance between two goals? I know that that's something I've struggled with right now. Like I'd like to save for my kid's college. I'd like to save for retirement. And, you know, probably based on my income right now, I can't do the ideal amount to both of them. And I know we talked before we did the podcast and you mentioned to me, I think there's like a 300 page book trying to answer this question. so you may not be able to answer it in, you know in a short period of time, but I'm wondering, how do you think about that idea when you can't save as much as you wanted for two goals? How do you think about balancing it? So this is one of
2: those things where it would be great and probably lots of TV ads and people who are pushing a product with this would like you to believe there's one answer to this question. But the reality is every individual has their best answer to this question. So So rules of thumb we can follow when you're trying to prioritize, it goes back to that calendar cash flow and crap part. So inside of that cash flow, sometimes we're juggling, like let's use uh, college and retirement savings. The reality is you can probably borrow for your kid college and you wanna borrow within reason, but you probably can't borrow or can't borrow in the same way for your retirement, both because of the time horizon and duration of retirement and also just because of the reality of um, there are student loans outside of reverse mortgages. There's not a lot of good retirement loan programs. Um, so it's the balancing act where we start to ask, we know you have these two things. How do we make it work best inside of your cash flows with the assets that you have, the balance sheet that you have, and where are you comfortable? Because the real answer here is untangling the psychology of where are you comfortable in committing to one of these decisions as we force rank this priority?
1: Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, in in my case, like I, I have to kind of think about those balancing those two different things. And, and like you said, I mean, that that was a really important point about being able to borrow for college. Um, you know, the idea that, you know, retirement, although everyone wants to prioritize their kids over themselves, you know, maybe in some cases, the ability to borrow leads to, you know, maybe saving more money towards retirement than, than you do towards college.
2: And I want to give you another example of that. Cause this one comes up all the time. I can't even tell you how many clients this was a thing with in the last like 10 years, really with like interest rates at zero, where like the three, like the holy triumvirate, like. Middle class to upper middle class balancing act was I've got kids that need to go to school. I got retirement to pay for. and I've got a mortgage that I'd really like to pay off. And these are, we can run it through a spreadsheet and there's lots of optimizations we can run on what like you should do. But some people like are, I need to have my mortgage paid off before I retire. Right? I need to do this or I need to do that. We get these ideas in our own heads. And so a very common thing with interest rate to zero and Like 10 years ago, like student loans got a little bit ridiculous for an example. So we had a lot of people going, I'm gonna prioritize my retirement savings first. I'm gonna try to max out that 401k. I'm gonna make these mortgage payments on the house with the goal being I'm gonna free up enough equity in the house that the cash flow that I can't support payments to the kid's school, I might use a home equity line to help fund that. And that was a structure of, I'm trying to get out of debt. I'm trying to save for retirement. I'm trying to pay for my kid's school. What's the right mix? of your crap, of your balance sheet, to make this work in a way that you, the client, are comfortable.
1: So the next question is probably the source of another podcast we'll do, but I'm just wondering in general, you know, obviously we have a goal in the future and we have to assume some sort of return on our investments to get towards that goal. I'm just wondering if you talk in a high level about how you think about that. I mean, if they have a 60-40 portfolio, do we just look at the historical returns of the 60-40 portfolio and kind of assume that's what we're going to get?
2: So there is a tremendous body of work around this. And I want to say Peter Ladina, M-L-A-D-I-N-A. So I'm probably saying his name horribly wrong. He's uh, He was with Northern Trust. I believe he still is. Does some amazing research on this for the finance geeks. Like there is a whole intertemporal capital asset allocation model that is worth diving into if you like thinking of this stuff. But on the flip side of that, Arshvin Chabra, um, what he wrote about this stuff is he basically broke it down as all those assumptions about what's the 60-40 return, what are my inflation assumptions, all the things we think as finance people, he basically says, you can throw all those out. And the reason you throw them out is, is very simple. If in 10 years, we need $100,000 for some goal, objective, whatever. So in 10 years, I need $100,000 because I'm going to pay off school in one shot, make this overly simple. Then I need $10,000 a year. And as the time horizon shifts and gets narrower and narrower, we're going to keep remeasuring progress to that goal. So if I'm invested in a 60-40 and I'm trying to put away $10,000 a year into this 60-40 to get to my 100,000 at the end, if it's going better than expected, then change what you need to do for the next three, four, seven years. If it's going worse than expected, add more to it. For the finance people, this is is liability-driven investing 101. And that's sort of like the mental flip: is you can have as fancy of assumptions as you want, but the back of the envelope math, and then just making sure you're monitoring it on an ongoing basis, is probably more valuable than any crystal wall you want to peer into.
1: That's great. I mean, simplicity is almost is always good, and, and that's a you know that, that's a great way to look at this in a simple way.
2: When you have a several hundred page book, and like a key element of it is in all the letters after you know Ashwin Chawda's name, and he's just like, oh yeah, just like pencil paper. Like throw out the financial modeling, and you're like, "Well, duh, that's awesome. That's awesome and obvious."
1: I just want to briefly ask you about inflation because it's something that's in everybody's mind right now. um, Because we we haven't seen it in our careers. I mean, are you looking at you know if you have people that are saving towards a goal and this inflation comes? I mean, does this cause you to relook at the goal and relook at the plan, or, or is it something that's sort of built in there from the beginning? So inflation
2: is a, is a huge topic. It always is because it's a cost just like taxes, but just like taxes, it's also a cost that's kind of like hard to model for a whole bunch of reasons because shit happens. So with inflation, what I would say is everybody should think that they have their own unique inflation profile and not to turn it into some crazy modeling exercise, but you have to think about the things you're exposed to and the different inflation rates that apply to those things. So the last 20 years inflation was zero, but if you were saving for kids to go to school, college tuition inflation was not zero. So you probably had to think about what do I do when tuition, at private institutions are going up 7% plus every single year in that savings goal. Um, likewise, if you have certain health issues or other things, you have to think about what's my healthcare inflation look like if I'm approaching retirement and so This is a roundabout way to say inflation matters. It doesn't matter just in the CPI sense. It matters in a personal sense. And you should have some awareness which assets uh, might be a risk on supporting the cash flows that cover whatever costs are inflating in your
1: life. Yeah, you know, we had we had Larry Swedger on our podcast and, and he said basically inflation is personal. And, you know, that's totally true. It's like inflation for one person is completely different than inflation for another person. If you
2: own versus if you rent, if your property taxes are going up versus if you're in an area where they're not really, all these things play a tremendous factor in it. And that's also where back to the idea of like saving for the goal without a bunch of crazy assumptions baked in. This is why an annual review or a regular cadence of reviewing these things and your progress towards these goals is so critical.
1: Just one more for me before I uh, hand it back to Justin. I just wanted to ask you from a behavioral perspective, if there were any sort of high level ideas you had that help people stay on track with their goals. Like for instance, you know, retirement sort of does this on its own, but you could, if you're saving for a down payment on a house, you could make like a bank account and call it like down payment on house. And so therefore you'll feel bad pulling the money out of there. I mean, do you have anything like that that helps people towards their goals? 100%. 100%. And back to the whole inflation is
2: always personal. Like personal finance is personal. And somebody's got that slogan out there. Who's like make personal finance personal again. And I, I can't agree with that more. So on the behavioral side, so my business partner, Michael Pompion literally wrote the book on this stuff and he's got like five books or something like that now on these topics. But again, there's no one right answer. There's no Holy grail for this. It's that uh, that quote of, there's no silver bullet, there's just lots of lead bullets and you're gonna need to fire a lot of lead bullets at this problem. So a common thing I'll have in conversations is people will say, I need to save for this house and I'm using like the passbook savings or whatever to save for this thing. And for that person, the right thing for them to do is set up that separate savings account and build that deposit. And if we need to make sure that's an online high yield savings, or just the checking account at their local bank or whatever makes for them. Understanding, and the behavioral thing is mental accounting, right? Like understanding what works for you there and then building your solution around it is the best thing you can do. On a, just like biases and the foibles of the way our monkey brains all work, like the reality is you will be your own worst enemy on your way to achieving these goals, unless you're aware of how you're being your own worst enemy. And once you know, then you can start to build in safeguards and guardrails really to help yourself from making like silly decisions. So if you know that setting the separate savings account that you pay into like a bill is how you're going to get to the down payment on that next house. And like, you can't see that savings account, but you need to know it's there. And then that's going to turn into the down payment. Like you just put the system in place so that that happens automatically. If you don't want to, you know, drink beers at night, don't put beers in the fridge.
0: Matt, what do you think the downsides are to goals-based planning? I know there are some, you know, popular people out there in the financial planning community that sort of think that, you know, there are better ways that people can become too fixated on, you know, one goal over the other. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Uh,
2: Back to what we started talking about at the beginning. If you sell this as goal-based planning or goal-based planned, or like you start to bastardize any of these things to push it as a product then you've you've lost the way. However, if you literally just take this approach as an open-end approach where goals, objectives, whatever you wanna call them, they have some basis, some purpose on why you're doing them. And we're gonna map those things over what we're gonna to do to achieve those things. Then whether or not somebody holds themselves out as a goals-based planner or just embraces this process and how we get to something, uh, that's a good thing as soon as somebody reverses course and goes the other way and is just using it to either justify a product or the old like man with a hammer problem where every problem now is the nail and you know index universal life or something is the solution then yeah yeah that's that's where it goes awry when people misuse what it is it's very personal your situation is your situation and yours alone and you need somebody who's going to sit across the table and make sure you're seen and heard and understood in the way your brain
0: is processing, trying to achieve the things you want to achieve. All right, that's great, Matt. So, you know, what we wanted to do at the end of each of these um, episodes is just kind of summarize everything and button everything up. So what I have is this, um, you know, with goals-based planning, we want to prioritize and define our goals. We have the three Cs, calendar, cash flows, and crap. Um, We want to match our assumptions and our expectations. We want to balance our goals or balancing goals is actually very individualized and it's about what's most comfortable for the individual in terms of what goals they put um, in priority. Goals can be variable based on uh, how we're trying to reach our goals and how we're making sure we're monitoring our goals. And then like you pointed out, which is, it kind of really highlighted it for me is, and it seems obvious, but you know, this is around, everything is very personalized it's like, what is one person's goal is going to be very different than the other goal. And setting up this, this goals-based planning is, is, is really, really personal. I think a lot of the things that we discussed you know, sort of get to the, to, to the heart of that. So, so thank you for sharing all this with uh, us and our audience. This has been great. My pleasure. Hi, guys. This is Justin again. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode. You can follow Jack on Twitter at, at Practical Quant. You can follow me on Twitter at, at JJ Carbono and follow Matt on Twitter at, at Cultish Creative. If you found this discussion interesting and valuable, please subscribe in either iTunes or on YouTube or leave a review or a comment. Also, if you have any ideas for topics you'd like us to cover in the future, please email us at excessreturnspod at gmail.com. We would like this to be a listener-driven podcast and would appreciate any suggestions. Thank you.